Turn in your Bibles, or turn on your Bibles. I'm going to be reading from Luke 2 and Philippians 2. And before we read our passage and get into our sermon this morning, before we um, do that, I just want to kind of just announce what we're talking about this morning. The big idea of our sermon is that um, the swaddling cloths that bound Jesus as a baby is a sign to us that God is with us. And we'll unpack that. But we also have limitations that bind us. And so there is a symbolism, a sign, if you will, in the swaddling of Jesus. So let's read Luke 2, 8 through 12, and then we'll flip to Philippians. The Word of God. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear, and the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be a sign for all people. For unto you this day in the city of David is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Then flip to Philippians 2, starting in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Let's pray. Father, thank you now for this, your word. Jesus prayed that we would be sanctified in the truth recognizing that the word is truth. And so we pray that the truth would transform us this morning and that we would be convinced and convicted of its power. Let it have its full effect on us. Let your Holy Spirit touch our hearts and minds as we yield ourselves under the authority of the word, that we might leave differently than the way we came in this morning. In the name of your Son, we pray. Amen. Well, just by a show of hands, how many people are going to be rapping this in the next week or two. Not everyone's a rapper. I don't mean this kind. I mean the rapping. A quick impromptu joke when I met, it's not a joke, it's just something funny. Maribel's from Boston, she's Puerto Rican, she's from the East Coast, and her family moved to the West Coast. And I went, was friends with her brother, and I went to their apartment, and there was a picture of her on the shelf, but she wasn't there, and I was just staring. I was like 12 years old, I was staring at this picture. And she said, that's my daughter. And I said, oh. And she said, yeah, don't, don't uh, when she gets here, don't be rapping to her. And I thought, why would I rap to her daughter? But that's an East Coast way of saying, don't think you're going to flirt with her. <laughs> she said, don't be rapping to my daughter. Rapping? Why would, I, why would I rap to your daughter? That wasn't in my notes. It was just kind of like a quick... <laughs> It's a good story, right? But some of you are going to be rapping. Not everyone does the rapping. I rather enjoy rapping presents. Yeah, right? Enjoy rapping presents. And um, whenever I go to a kid's birthday party and gifts are in a bag, I always feel bad because a gift like in a bag 
and there are some really fancy bags out there, and it's a big industry, gift bags. But it always says to me, you just, you weren't that important for me to wrap this gift. Like, I didn't have the time, you know? Um, now, I know my kids are grown, so you don't have to worry about coming to my kids' birthday parties putting gifts in bags, but I don't know where wrapping gifts came from or, or when it was invented, but the concept may have derived from Japan. In a Christianity Today article entitled The Gift of Wrapping, Jeff Peabody writes about the ancient Japanese art of furoshiki. He says, feudal lords needed a practical way to bundle their belongings while using the shogun bathhouse. And they displayed their family crests on the outer cloth to identify whose was whose. Over the centuries, people adapted furoshiki into a beautiful means of presenting gifts. The cloth is folded and tied in deliberate and creative ways, inviting the recipient to pause and appreciate the thoughtfulness behind the packaging before opening it. If you look at the picture, it looks like gift wrapping. And in some ways it is, but it's not made of wrapping paper. It is the kind of wrapping that is, can be reused over and over again. These are beautiful cloths. And uh, because the cloth can be used over and over again, it's made furoshiki a popular, you know, eco-friendly alternative. When Yuriko Koike was the Japanese Minister of the Environment, she praised the benefits of furoshiki saying it's a shame for something to go to waste without having made use of its full potential. And when you think about it, Jesus came to us in furoshiki. He came to us wrapped in cloths. In Luke 2, the angel tells the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. Now, the practice of swaddling traces its history to the earliest civilizations. Archaeologists have found tiny carved figurines of swaddled babies dating back thousands of years before Christ. And parents once thought that wrapping infants tightly helped their limbs to grow straighter. Ezekiel 16 and 4 even suggests that unswaddled babies were abandoned and uncared for. Even more recently, child development experts have suggested that wrapping a child snugly in a blanket mimics the experience they have in the womb and provides a sense of security. But other studies suggest that excessively restricting movement can distress children and even stunt growth that leads to deformities. And this second aspect of 
restricted movement makes you think of Jesus as a baby in a whole new light. Jeff Peabody, again in that article from Christianity Today, he writes, imagine Jesus' arms and legs straining against those unyielding bonds. What must it be like for a baby, particularly this baby, God incarnate to be unable to move in any direction, held fast like a prisoner in a straitjacket? What must it have been like to have your world shrunk and narrowed so severely? The first thing I want us to see is that God understands our limitations. God understands our limitations. This historical detail from Christ's birth is startling that God entered into boundness so that he could share inside knowledge of what we feel. And the conditions of Advent, his arrival in a manger, in some ways, is a small metaphor for his entire life. As the Son of God became flesh and bones, he experienced an unfathomable limitation to himself. The universe, as it were, closed in around him, restricting him with time and space. Having a human body was like being swaddled. It makes me think of that line from the Disney movie Aladdin, where the genie comes out of the lamp and he expresses to Aladdin his predicament. Phenomenal cosmic power in an itty-bitty living space. It helps us to kind of grasp the idea of a limitless, omnipotent, powerful God who can do all things being constrained and constricted to a body. The Almighty God was contained in unnaturally small dimensions when you think about it. And that's remarkable. It's startling, in fact, when you think about this truth of Scripture that we learn when we read the Advent story of Jesus' birth. Now, from my own experience, suddenly in my 40s, small enclosures freak me out. It started a couple years ago. I didn't recognize what was happening, but I would have panic attacks. And I always kind of boasted that I wouldn't get claustrophobic. It was, it was but, but something has happened in the recent past few years. My mother is in town from Los Angeles, and we went to the arch, and we went up in that little egg. <laughs> you remember Mork and Mindy? You know, Mork comes to earth in like this egg. And we sat in there with four other people, and your head is tucked under. And by the time we got to the top, she didn't know it, but I was about full-blown panic. When we were up at the very top of the arch looking out of those windows, she was having a great time. I was freaking out. I had to get out of there. I couldn't wait. And I don't mean like, you know, I was uncomfortable. I mean like, I mean, it was, it was my, my world was crashing in on me. And the other day I went to get a CT scan. And, you know, CT scan machines are relatively open. But I got one of my, you know, my pelvis area. And as the bed was going in, I yelled out, wait, 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 wait. But she had already gone in, and I just, I, I just had to close my eyes and, and wait to get through it. I find myself being panicked by small places as it feels like the world is closing in around me at times. Sometimes it's hard just to be in my living room. 
I just have to go outside, even when it's 12 degrees, and just stand in the open air to feel free. I don't know exactly what it is, but it, it's obviously some type of anxiety disorder. Now, we may think of the God of the universe being confined to limitations of a human body as just a spatial predicament, right? His unfathomable, limitless in time and space being constrained to a body which limits him spatially. But the Bible also says that even his power was limited. Paul tells the Philippians that Christ becoming human meant being limited in power. Philippians 2, the passage we read. Though he was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited or used for his own advantage. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, and became humbled. And this idea is an aspect of the incarnation we may not think about. The fact that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity in eternity past, had all power, shared all power equally with the Father and the Spirit, but when he came into human flesh, there was an emptying of that power. He limited his power. He did not use the power that he had with God in eternity past, but limited himself. Theologians would say that all three omnis were not present in God in the flesh. God's omnipotence, God's omnipresence, and God's omniscience were lacking in Jesus, which means he wasn't pretending to be a human, but he was limited spatially and in power while he was on earth. And not only was he bound in birth, but he remained bound as he lived his life going from one trial to the next. Hunger, rejection, ridicule, homelessness, exposure to the elements, sorrow, grief, and discouragement. All of those things in many ways were a type of emotional binding that God was experiencing in a unique way. Until he faced his greatest ordeal and was sent to the cross, this time bound by nails instead of swaddling cloths. At some point, each of us meets the limits of being human. Maybe it's not through an anxiety disorder like me. Maybe it's the stifling experience of a job where your best skills are never used. Or a broken family system that you can't escape from. Or past choices where consequences still choke and bind you. Or addictions you feel powerless to control. We all, at some point, experience the limits of being human. So God not only understands our limitations, but God also understands our struggles personally. It is not a theoretical understanding of our struggles. It is not the kind of understanding of our struggles that an omniscient being knows mentally, whatever that means for God, but he knows it personally. You know, I'm learning as a pastor that the more things I go through, and I don't want to keep laying this on, but this has been like the roughest year of my life. There's so many things that have happened, cancer, losing my father, all these different things. 
But I'm learning that all of these things I go through make me more able to minister to people. I can connect with people's hardship because I've been subjected to the same intensity of trials and suffering. And so my experiences may not be exactly the experiences of the people I minister to, but the intensity of those trials helps me to connect and to relate. And suffering gives you a kind of moral authority that those who haven't experienced it don't have. This simple image of Jesus, God's gift to us, being wrapped up in cloths, should comfort you with the powerful truth he understands the bindings on our mind and soul as only someone who has a shared experience would have. So when we think about God not understanding us, not relating to us in our trials, we have to remember that God was bound, that God became limited, not only spatially, but in his power for us. God knows what it's like to be human with all its frustrating limitations and there are some frustrating limitations of being human. Things we cannot control, things we cannot foresee, and things we deeply regret. Now I know I'm living a life that I really don't deserve. By grace, God has blessed me in so many ways, and I don't even, I'm not talking about material possessions, I'm just talking about allowing me to experience the joy of his goodness and grace with a family and a, a warm roof to sleep under and those things. But I also have regrets, and sometimes I wish, is there a way I could go back? Like, is there a way, Lord, that if I prayed hard enough, you would somehow give me a second chance, I could hit the rewind button 20 years, somehow with like a subconscious knowledge of what I know now, and fix all of the broken things, or all the things that I broke, or prevent from breaking them in my life all of the bad decisions, all the people I hurt, things I look back and thought, what was I thinking if I only knew what I know now? And so being human comes with all these frustrating limitations. And this gives meaning, more meaning to the concept of Emmanuel, God with us, when we realize that God himself was limited. And this is the heart of the gospel. That God subjecting himself to the confinement of being human enters our humanity and joins us in this world and saves us from the inside. It gives new meaning to the concept of the idea of Emmanuel, God with us. God wasn't pretending to be a human. It wasn't a costume he put on just so he could accomplish the work of redemption. He subjected himself to the limits of being human. Again, Jeff Peabody writes, The manger isn't the only time we find God in Furoshiki. At the end of his earthly life, Jesus, our gift, was laid in the tomb, carefully and lovingly wrapped in strips of cloth. However, this time the story ends with the image of the cloths being left behind in the tomb, setting aside, being set aside by the risen Christ, the gift now fully ours. 
the wrapping discarded. He broke the power of the bindings that held him in a death grip and emerged into complete and total freedom. This is the hope that we claim as we reflect on the sign of the manger, the sign that was for the shepherds and for us also, this child wrapped in swaddling cloths. It's no small thing that Jesus identified with us in his humanity, joining our confinement. Because I don't know about you, but I need a Savior who I know understands my struggles in such a personal way. Even now, our swaddling or binding is starting to loosen as we come to know God in the person of Jesus more and more every single day. But one day, we'll completely set our cloths aside and we'll be totally free from all binding and experience the glorious freedom of unrestrained fellowship with God in its fullness. And when that day comes, we will fully take in the greatness of the gift of God himself, no longer veiled by furoshiki of any kind. Let's pray. Father, now we thank you that you came into the flesh and not only limited yourself to a human body as spatially confining as that might have been, but also limiting your power, subjecting yourself to the need of the Spirit's empowering, a need, O oh God, that we also cry out for, your Spirit's empowering, to get us through every single day and every trial and the things in this life that we are limited and bound from changing. Lord, we look back to those heroes of faith over the centuries, who through every trial and every sort of suffering, including torture and death, remained vigilant in their faith. Help us, O oh God, to look to that example and to be faithful in spite of whatever binding we might experience this morning, knowing with full knowledge that you will cause our bonds ultimately to be loosed. We thank you and pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.